Never discuss politics or religion in polite company is what they say. Um, because, you know, when you're at a dinner party or you're meeting some friends of friends, people don't often like having their beliefs challenged. Uh, people will often hold different views, as you know, and when it comes to politics or spirituality, these things can kind of strike a pretty deep chord with people. They're sort of very, very close to what people really believe for all sorts of reasons. So without knowing where people are coming from and why, how they got there, I guess you don't want to offend, you don't want to risk alienating people, and it's maybe safer just to talk about something easy. I don't happen to have a choice because the go-to, something easy that people I run into roll with is, so what do you do? And uh, what am I supposed to say? Am I supposed to lie to them? Or uh, in the past, I've tried more creative ways of explaining what I do that makes sense to people. I tell them I'm in uh, support and development or I tell them I'm in youth work uh, and people would sort of give you a nice look as if you're doing something with small animals and being charitable. But no, no, these days I tell them that I'm a Baptist minister. I work for the church and I get to enjoy the variety of reactions that bounce back. Uh, no one's thrown a punch at me yet, which is nice. Uh, but depending on whether the person I'm talking to is a Christian or not, I've noticed we either tend to move on quickly or we start making a list of people that we might have mutual friends with. <laughs> now, Jesus polarizes people. Always has. And the passage we're looking at today is about that. Luke chapter 12, 49 to 59. Where Jesus begins by saying something that's quite odd to hear coming from his mouth if you're reading it a certain way. Uh, you might have had a question about that yourself when uh, Mark did the reading for us just earlier and you were listening along. You might have had a, he said, what now moment? Uh, when right at the start of the reading, Jesus is recorded a saying in verse 49. Um, Jesus says, I have come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. Now, he's just been talking about uh, the end of the world and the judgment of God. If you look at the verses that come before this bit, he said, watch and be ready. Judgment is coming and you won't know when. And in verse 49, where we start from today, he mentions bringing fire on the earth, letting it all reach its boiling point, and all this in the context of judgment in the end, which has just come before. And it sounds like he's really looking forward to this. He says, and I, how I wish the world was already kindled. Now, those are scary kind of words. Um, they sound threatening and ominous and kind of like the words of a pyromaniac, if you take him literally, or at least a different kind of maniac if he's not being literal, but still scary. What kind of executioner is this who seems so keen on his job to bring judgment? How on earth is this person, the same person who the angels sang about at his birth, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace on those on whom his favor rests? Is what the angels sang. And here he is in verse 51 saying, do you think I came to bring peace? No, I tell you, I bring division. What's going on? Now, the advice that's most of the time pretty helpful when you come across a verse that seems to make no sense, the advice is, read the next verse. Uh, so, them together, 49 and 50. Jesus says, I've come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled, but I have a baptism to undergo. 
and what constraint I'm under until it is completed. There you go. You, you figure out what kind of baptism Jesus is talking about here, and that could be the key to figuring out the first bit too. By this point in the story, Jesus has already been baptized once with water by John the Baptist. And so I don't think that's what he's talking about here because what he's referring to is a baptism that hasn't happened yet and something that he's looking ahead to. Which makes me think what he's actually talking about is the thing that's always on Jesus' mind, which was before him, this task that he knew he had come to face. I think Jesus is talking about the cross where he's heading to, to be crucified. And it's a baptism in the sense that on the cross, this whole ocean of the anger and wrath of God because of human sin that's been building up and getting hotter and hotter since creation, Jesus is plunging himself into that boiling sea of judgment and drinking the whole thing up himself, giving his life as a sacrifice for us. That, I think, is the baptism he says he has to undergo. And that he's feeling the constraint of that huge task that's before him, that his whole life is leading up to. So in verse 49, I think he is talking about, I think he is talking about how he's come to deal out the fire of God's righteous judgment. The image of fire is often about judgment. And he'd be keen to have it already started if he could have it his way. But he's talking about dealing with the fire of God's judgment in himself. Him taking on that judgment and fire. Not pouring it out on other people, but this is the fire he'll swallow for us. Hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinner reconciled. But if only we knew what would have to happen to make that a reality, to make that peace. The way to peace is through fire. Do you know, and we sung about this this morning, it is impossible for you as a Christian to make God angry at you. And that's because God has already poured out his anger and his wrath and his judgment in one place, once for all. That was what Jesus was constrained to go do. That baptism of fire that he was willingly heading to, he was resolutely going to Jerusalem to undergo. Amazing love. How can it be that you, my God, should die for me? Now, Jesus also seems to know that what he's going to do is not just radical, it's also going to be divisive. And this baptism of fire for Jesus is also going to lead to a different sort of baptism of fire for his disciples, as they also will face persecution and division because of him. If you look at verse 51, Luke 12, 51, Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. I think Jesus says this to counter any thought that his disciples were entertaining, that following Jesus might lead to, in the short term to this earthly utopia of prosperity and good times and comfort because they found the king, this miracle-working, powerful, promised king. But no, they've already seen just how many of the Jewish leaders and the teachers of the law were dead against Jesus, even as he does all the amazing things that he does. And they'll see it again very soon uh, in full force when Jesus gets arrested and the mob put him on trial and they crucify him. Identifying with Jesus 
has and will sadly split families down the middle. Uh, Verse 52. From now on, there will be five and one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. They'll be divided father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, and mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Son-in-laws get out of it, apparently. I don't know if you've seen that play out before. It's a common enough story, really. Um, just last weekend, actually, I was having a talk with someone who, well, for her, it was around the time of her baptism. She became Christian, her parents weren't. And on the day of her baptism, she was telling me her mom said to her, I feel like I've lost my daughter. Of course, there was still mother and daughter. But mum recognized something significant was going on, didn't she? Because families are all about loyalty. All about loyalty. And sometimes they're about power as well. But either way, Jesus might just come in and disrupt family dynamics in a pretty serious way. And all the normal power brokers don't have the same power anymore because now it's Jesus setting the agenda. And the loyalties have shifted and the family has to factor that in. I remember running to this uh, a fair bit when I was working with a Christian international students group at the University of New South Wales. And the story often goes, mum and dad are overseas in Singapore or Malaysia. They send their son or daughter to the university to get trained to become a doctor. Uh, They pay exorbitantly for it, as overseas students do. But along the way, this son, this daughter meets us, they start reading the Bible with us, they start making a commitment to follow Jesus. And after five, six years, by the end of their degree, uh, they might be feeling like God is calling them to full-time pastoral ministry or some sort of ministry training. And imagine that chat back home. You can, you can imagine it, can't you? Come back home after five, six years away in the summer uni break. Oh, by the way, mum and dad, I know you sent me to become a doctor, but now that I've finished my degree... I want to stay on and become a ministry trainee or go to Bible college. My goodness, it hits the fan, doesn't it? Some of us are from families where it's not so tight and you're in the habit of being pretty independent anyway. Uh, Your family culture might be quite individualistic and everyone does their own thing. And it's very easy for you then in that situation, if you're a Christian, to make a stand against other people in your family because you've been doing that your whole life. Uh, if that's you, you've got to know that you need to love your family too. He expects you to love him more than your family. That's what Jesus expects, but you have to love your family. But I know some of you come from families that are super tight, that you might be in a big extended family network for whom family is everything. And there are expectations of cohesiveness and closeness And this passage, Jesus is saying, I think, that your choices to follow him are not always going to be valued by the rest of your family. Get used to it. And stop using your family as an excuse not to serve Jesus. Don't be at the mercy of your parents who are upset at you because you side with Jesus. Honoring them doesn't always mean obeying them especially if you're an adult in your own right. 
but it's kind of shameful, isn't it? If you as an adult still need your parents to tell you what to do, what not to do, just like when you were a kid, you bring honour to them in a different way. And don't let your kids set the agenda either when it comes to the things of God. Stop using your family as an excuse not to serve Jesus. Because you don't live for their approval. And if one day your kids tell you that they're going to take your grandkids all the way to deepest, darkest, wherever, where you can't get access to them, because that's where God's called them to go as a family, to do work in his name, then would you also mix in some joy with your grief and make it easy for them to go because we live for the kingdom and Jesus rules over even your family. Now, the obvious divisions Jesus causes in our families and amongst those close to us, and we all have people we know and love who don't yet know Jesus, that creates for us an interesting tension, doesn't it? when it comes to thinking about the end and about the judgment of God, like what this chapter in Luke has been all about. It's a bit of a push-pull thing. We want and we don't want Jesus to come back right now. Because if he comes, that would be great, but if he comes, then what about my family? What about my friends who don't yet trust in Jesus? He'll have to face the ocean of God's anger at their sin on their own. Maybe you're someone sitting here, listening right now, who you know you've been on the edge of deciding to follow Jesus, but you haven't made that jump. And maybe you've been on the fence for quite some time now, but you're hearing this talk now. And so would you hear Jesus' words to you in this chapter of Luke? I read from verse 54. He said to the crowd, When you see a cloud rising in the west... Immediately you say, it's going to rain, and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say, it's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? As you are going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled on the way or your adversary may drag you off to the judge and the judge turn you over to the officer and the officer throw you in prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. I think Jesus is saying, would you read the situation, read the room and take appropriate action? My wife hates how I dress and that's not just because She's trendy and I'm not. That's true, she is trendy and I'm not. But the thing she dislikes the most is that I seem to have no clue about weather-appropriate clothing. Uh, For me, I don't care if it's warm or if it's cold. But for Joyce, it irritates her to no end when I'm wearing a T-shirt and shorts and it's freezing cold outside or I'm there in a thick jumper when it's sunny and she has to be the dope standing next to the dope. And she's probably right. I should probably pay more attention to that kind of thing. If you can see it's going to rain, you bring an umbrella. If you can tell it's going to be warm, don't wear a big jumper. And so Jesus is saying, would you read the situation you are in? Understand the times, understand the urgency. Look at that pot that's on the stove. When the little bubbles start coming and then the bigger bubbles start coming, guess what? It's going to boil. 
Understand the times that we're living in. Jesus has already come. He's already done the hard work to pave the way to peace with God. He's already promised to return. And it seems the only reason he's holding out and coming back is to give people more time to accept the peace that he's offered them. That's it. And even that is a grace from God. And so Jesus' final illustration there in verse 57 is a bit more pointed, where he says, Make peace with the one taking you to see the judge, because you are guilty. Your hands are stained. And if you don't have them drop charges, if you don't, have, if you don't make peace with them and become their friend, if they're taking you to the cleaners and you're not going to get out, you're done. Now, there's an urgency built into that because the way he describes it, you're en route to the judge. You're en route to the courthouse. You don't have forever. We don't know exactly when God is going to pull the plug on this order of things. and We don't know which is going to be our last breath before we meet our maker. None of us do. So make peace while you can. Because Jesus offers it to you. He gives his life up to make that possible. And for those of you who've accepted it, would you get on with this urgent job of encouraging others to make that peace? Not that you can do it for them. You can't make their minds up for them. That's between them and God. But we're on a timer. Our world is on a timer, so would you pray? And would you share? And would you... Encourage and I model and witness and be equipped to do that any way that you can. Later on this year, we're going to be inviting Belinda Lakeland back to come help us with some more intentional training in relational evangelism. Uh, she was one who helped us with that last year at church camp. And we've locked in some dates uh, in September uh, when she's available to help us with our friends and our family who don't yet know Jesus. So plan to come to that, please, uh, won't you? For their sake, for your sake. But don't wait till September to get started. Because it could all be all over before, right before you know it, it could all be done. Who knows if God's going to give us September? Would you join me in prayer? Father, in your patience, you've given us so much time already to respond in faith to Jesus. We ask that you'd give us courage and, and wisdom to keep standing with Jesus, even if people close to us don't. Lord, we know too many still who don't stand with him and who, if nothing changes, will face your wrath on their own and they won't stand a chance. So, Father, grant that we might be effective in drawing people to Jesus so that they can see what he's done for them. Ask in Jesus' name.